You know, Billy, today we're talking about my favorite Lincoln Motzel film. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> there are so many to choose from. Welcome to 1000 Wives of Weird, podcast where we talk about everything weird, mostly movies. My name is Billy Martell, and with me as always is... Brad Hefner. Yes, and today we are discussing a little-known gem by director and writer George Romero, independent film where he tried to reinvent the vampire mythos way before Anne Rice made it cool. Well, popular anyway. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, it's it's a it's a very unique little indie horror film. Talking about Martin. We're talking about Martin. We're talking about Martin by George Romero, who coincidentally did know Martin Scorsese as a kid. Oh, cool. Yeah, they were the only two people at the video store who would rent the same reels of the of the same obscure Russian opera movie every <laughs> week. They would be fighting over it. Do you think when they were? Uh... Young boys like sitting on the street corner together, <laughs> pitching pennies and in their driver's caps and overalls, fighting through the Great Depression. Do you think one of them would be like, "Gee, Georgie, when I grow up, I'm gonna make the pictures." <laughs> and Georgie's like, "I'm gonna make the pictures too, Monty." <laughs> I think I think that's probably exactly. I think you've psychically transmitted exactly what they said to each other when they were kids. And do you think they've had, like, an anime-style rivalry ever since? <laughs> but where, like, every time uh, Martin Scorsese shows up, he's, like, 20 levels above George Romero. <laughs> I... George Romero's like, I made monkey shines, you son of a bitch. What do you think now? <laughs> Martin Scorsese's like, oh man, I'll have to go cry to all my Oscars. Actually, he didn't have a whole lot of Oscars. All my Golden Globes. <laughs> all my People's Choice Awards. <laughs> but secretly in Martin Scorsese's heart, he's jealous of the of the zombie phenomenon that George yeah. Romero created. For those who don't know, George Romero was an independent filmmaker from Pittsburgh, PA, who created the movie Night of the Living Dead, and with it, the modern concept of the zombie film. Before that movie, zombies were based on the Haitian myth. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, when you think of zombie, the, the whole corpse is coming back from the grave and eating people, or eating brains, or what have you. It all started with Night of the Living Dead, and was eventually improved and perfected in his following sequels, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. In between that, those movies, he also made this little film called Martin. Now, was Night of the Living Dead his first movie, or was it The Crazies? His first movie was Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Yeah, The Crazies came after that. Not right after that, because after Night of the Living Dead, he made like a romantic drama. Okay. I believe it's the only romantic drama he ever made in his career. And I don't... He did it once, he did it perfect, and he didn't need to say anything more. <laughs> exactly. He, he perfected the genre and he moved on. Yeah, so Martin was, uh, I think, a little after The Crazies, I think, is when okay. that took place. I'm not sure of the exact order. But like 
Night of the Living Dead. It's a super, super low-budget film with a bunch of actors that nobody knows yep. and never really did anything again afterwards. Such as, as Lincoln Motzel. Right. Who plays Tanta Kuda. Yes. does The, the cast does a great job for, for being an entire cast of unknowns. The Crazies was uh, five years before Martin. Okay, there you go then. Martin, the, the just sort of general outline of Martin. Lincoln Motzel has a Wikipedia page. Oh, does he? He's an American singer and actor of stage and screen. <laughs> well, there you go. He has a life outside of Martin. Good, good for Lincoln Motzel. But yeah, so Martin is uh, this little movie about vampires are real, but they're not at all like you've ever heard about. They are immortal, maybe, but and they do have to drink blood, which is like a sort of a sexual craving that they have. They have to drink blood, but they are not hurt by sunlight. They're not hurt by garlic or crosses. None of the stuff that you've ever heard about vampires is true. The only thing that's true is that they drink blood. They don't even have fangs mm -hmm. to cut open a person's throat with. They have to use sharp objects just like everyone else. And Martin is one of these vampires, or at least he thinks he is. And he has gone to live with a relative of his who has been charged to take care of him and is still hung up on these older ideas about vampires. I, I think one of his first words to Martin is like, I will destroy you! Yeah, he, he greets him to his house by saying, Nosferatu, vampire, I will save your soul, and then I will kill you. <laughs> or destroy you, yeah. And so, it's in the rest of the movie is almost a... There are, is still, like, a body count. It mm -hmm. is still a horror movie. But most of the film is actually more of a slice-of-life story, almost, of Martin living at home with his old and angry uncle, was it? Or cousin? Uh, it is his cousin. His cousin. And uh, his family interacting with the locals, getting a little bit of romance, uh, such as it, as it is. And uh, it's just a very sort of somber, um, melancholy piece about the diff about generations and and uh decay of old ideas and old cities and old ways of thinking in my opinion anyway a beautiful little film incredibly depressing very pennsylvanian and i i enjoyed the hell out of it i absolutely recommend it especially to people who like vampires as much as i do now I haven't seen as many vampire movies as you have. Sure. I've seen Dracula Dead and Loving It. The the best one. I've seen Dusk Till Dawn. Okay. Blade 1 and 2. Okay. <laughs> that might be it. Really? That's all? That's Those are the only vampire films? Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me. I know here. he fights <laughs> Frankenstein's monster in that, but isn't there a vampire too? Yeah, Dracula's in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dude, it's been like 20 fucking years. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I'm a huge vampire fan. Like, I've seen almost every movie about vampires there is out there. But yeah, no, I love vampires, and Martin is unlike any vampire movie that exists. So I can't appreciate it on that level. So or we're, have, we're or, having a Shin Godzilla issue here. Sort of, but I can also see how this is not what regular vampires, yeah. vampire movies are like. Right. I know the mythos well enough. I've seen it parodied enough. Sure, yeah. So I wasn't like... That wasn't as an attractive aspect to me. Mm -hmm. This is just a really 
intense, engaging sort of horror, a little bit of thriller. It's kind of hard to classify this movie because yeah. it's just so different. It's a horror drama <laughs> that's going to have you on the edge of your seat. <laughs> no, it's just a very... And it's only 90 minutes. Yes, this it is, is very a tight quick. Film. And like you said, there's not a strong plot. It's mostly slice-of-life no. stuff. Yeah. But it never feels meandering. It feels like we're watching Martin's natural flow through right. a few weeks. I would absolutely recommend it. It's yeah. it's you get a, a young Tom Savini is acting up a storm in it. Yes. Also, George Romero George actually Romero. has a pretty significant role in the film, and he does pretty well. He does. That's a funny thing. That's. I would love to see. I wish his. We'll talk about it later, but I wish that was a recurring character through the film. <laughs> I wish that was like, like he was like Kevin Smith. <laughs> in that Silent Bob shows up in all this, like, yeah. his priest character always in this that film. Priest. That always shows up in all of the zombie movies and everything. That would be amazing. It'd be great if in Dawn of the Dead he just wandered past the store and he was like, Hey, uh, you want to talk to Father Giuseppe about all these zombies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. Now, George Romero does usually have like little cameo appearances in this movie. Like, yeah, he played Dennis Hopper in Land of the Dead. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> but like he usually has like little cameo pieces, but uh and he's I don't think I've ever seen him have like that big of a role yeah. in one and it, he he does okay. But yeah, I would definitely recommend Martin. It's yeah. it, it's very and I haven't seen a lot of George Romero. A big Monkey Shines fan. Are you a big Monkey Shines fan? It's a pretty good bad movie. I have not seen it. I, I I watched some interviews with George Romero before this, and the main one that I watched was was a um, like a, a big tribute to his entire career. Mm -hmm. And he spends a good amount of time trying to defend Monkey Shines. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. We might talk about Monkey Shines on this show. Sure. Later. I, I, I want to see everything George Romero has made. I also want to see the movie Night Riders, which is a movie not a lot of people talk about that he made, which is a movie about modern-day jousting, but as opposed to actual modern-day jousting where it's, you know, reenactors on horses, these are people in full knight's garb with lances, but they're on dirt bikes. Oh, cool. And it stars Ed Harris. Oh, my God. As the leader of this cult of... of of Knight Riders. I just rewatched Mother, so I, I would <laughs> I would love to see the transition, like <laughs> from Knight Riders to Mother. Yeah, what a is that? Would that be considered a glow up? I can't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Knight Riders. I think it's a glow sideways. Like <laughs> Knight Riders could be like the Citizen Kane of motorcycle movies. We it, don't, we have no idea. It's definitely the Citizen Kane of jousting on dirt bike movies. <laughs> Uh, I will say, as a big George Romero fan, one of my favorite things about him is that he makes such somber, depressing movies. Yes. And yet, when you see him in interviews, he's such a, just a jovial kind of everyman. Like, people will ask him questions about, like, it's been said that Day of the Dead was your feminist masterpiece. What do you have to say about that? And he's like, ah, I mean... The main character is a lady, but I I don't know. I guess, maybe. 
she's a good character, at least I think she is. I mean, he said some things I don't agree with, yeah. but everyone has, so, you know. What do you, racist things? No, not racist things, it's just, uh, he was, um, very protective of zombies as his creation. Yeah. And because of that, there are some, some people made zombie movies after him that he was very critical of. And in my opinion, he was, for someone who came from such inauspicious beginnings as he did, it just felt to me when he would go on these tangents about, like, uh, people are ruining my thing. I was, whereas, come on, you're an indie filmmaker, all these people are trying to make their own indie films. Yeah. Like, just let it go. There are plenty of terrible vampire movies, there are plenty of terrible zombie movies. Your legacy is fine. Don't, like, don't... The fans obviously wanted him to make it an us-versus-them thing, because the fans were always like, Romero zombies are so much better than the 28 Days Later zombies and all these other false equivalencies. And it's like, come on, just let everybody have their fun. I'm going to say this as a nerd to a fellow nerd. Okay. Fuck people who argue about zombies. (laughs) Like, I know... I know that we'll argue about some dumb stuff. Sure. But fuck people who argue about zombies. <laughs> fuck people who have a zombie like survival plan. Uh, that, well, that was another one of the things he, he came down on Max Brooks. Oh, who wrote uh, World War, War Z, Z and, and the Zombie, zombie survival, survival Guide, and he came down on him for writing the Zombie Survival Guide specifically because he was like, "You can't plan for a zombie apocalypse." That was the entire point of my movies: is that it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah." He's and you not... made some great movies, buddy, but back the fuck off. He's writing his fun book. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like, Max Brooks wasn't clearly inspired by those movies, but he's not saying like, this is a guide to the movies. Right. That's he's... George Romero going like, zombies? My zombies? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? And even he admitted, like, he didn't have any rules for what the zombies, which he didn't even call zombies in his first movie, were going to do. So he, there are some zombies in the background running. Yeah. Because he didn't tell... There's a couple zombies having some coffee. There's a couple zombies <laughs> taking out a mortgage. There's just, there's just a bunch of extras who showed up. There's one zombie who's dressed like a vampire. What the fuck's up with that, George? <laughs> he didn't have a Bible or anything. He's just was like, I want to make some spooky stuff. And let's smear blood on everyone. There's the movie. And it was great. And even he admitted, like, he's he's always talking about, in his later years, he always talked about, oh, I put so much subtleties in it. But again, earlier on, people would ask him, it was a powerful, racially motivated move that you had the main character of Night of the Living Dead be a black guy in the 60s. Why did you do that? And he said, he was the best actor I knew, so I gave him that part. And then I was driving to deliver the film cans, and Martin Luther King Jr. got shot on the drive. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I guess this is now a racial film. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, um, talking about Martin. Do you think George Romero planned that? I... (laughs) I hope not. Do you think he's <laughs> that like, would be my the... motion picture needs a little pizzazz? <laughs> that would be the most. <laughs> that would be the stupidest way to market a movie. <laughs> That's just so completely and totally wasteful. <laughs> I want a Batman villain whose crimes are to market movies. 
and like that's like he, he's just horrible. He's worse than the Joker. He's just killing millions of people. It's like come see trolls space tour. <laughs> then the atomic bomb goes off. <laughs> so it's like it's like I'm only Rachel Ghoul. I'm only killing billions so that I can save the world. And then there's this guy saying, "Yeah, and I'm only saving billions." Because my movie needs to make billions. A quiet place, too. A quieter place. So I'm making everybody deaf in the United States. <laughs> oh, my God. I I can see it. <laughs> I, I can definitely see that. Well, let's let's call up Jim Lee. Let's call up Jim they Lee. They just fired a bunch of people. Yeah, so they, need, I, they uh... need the help. They need the help. <laughs> so uh, let's get in-depth into Martin. Let's get in-depth into Martin. Uh, one other behind-the-scenes factoid. This is the first film that George Romero and Tom Savini ever worked on together. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Savini was supposed to help them with Night of the Living Dead, but got drafted. Yeah. Uh, and then he... he, he uh, Several years later, Martin's happening, and he walks into George Romero's office to try and get a job doing special effects. So the way that he offered himself was to walk in this place, say, hey, remember me, and slit his own wrists <laughs> and bleed all over the place. And George Romero said, no, but that's very impressive. <laughs> that's great. Which is a total Tom Savini move. I I imagine that uh, Tom Savini was in Vietnam from the time of Night of the Living Dead until Martin was made. <laughs> like, just in the jungle, going mad, like Colonel Kurtz. Using, like, water buffalo fat to make his props. It's <laughs> And then, like, the first thing he does when he gets off the plane home, he's like, gotta go see Georgie. <laughs> exactly. Gotta go see Georgie. And he brought all his own skeletons that he made <laughs> himself, that he skinned himself directly in Vietnam. During his war crimes. During his war crimes. <laughs> As it turns out, uh, the... Was the, I keep forgetting the name of the first movie we watched. Tracks. Tracks. Tracks is actually based on yeah. the life, <laughs> the life of, of Tom Savini. Tom Savini. <laughs> Except instead of making horrible cookies or whatever he yeah. did, he made he made special effects. Um, although it is a fact that the skeleton from Creepshow that Tom Savini made is a real human skeleton. Yeah, he made it. He took out his own skeleton. <laughs> And he put it in there, someone held him in a bucket yeah. until the shot was done, then he ate his skeleton, and yeah. Now, in in real life, he just ordered it from some very sketchy people overseas. But yeah, it's a real human skeleton in that movie. He should be buying American. <laughs> I'm really offended by the fact that he got a foreign corpse for creep show. Also, all the skeletons they're swimming with at the end of Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Also, all real corpses. Yeah. yeah. The cast did not know that until they were already in the soup with them. But anyway. I would have waited till after. You would have. <laughs> Although, <laughs> while they're down there, they can't get to you. So, they have time to process it. I like to also think that the headless... Uh, corpse with the chain holding the chainsaw and evil dead 2 in the tool shed scene yeah. is also a real human body because that would just makes that scene even more gruesome and hilarious to me to have the puppeteers wheeling a, around a human headless corpse to have a human remains being desecrated yeah 
it really, really gets gets me excited for cinema. Just dig up somebody's father and just <laughs> wing him around. Put him in the dress. For your little, for your little, uh, your little spooky movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what I'm here for. So yeah, Martin is super super indie movie, and much like other indie horror films from the time period, like Carnival of Souls, it just starts. You know who would have made a great Martin? Who? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt could play anybody. I think I Martin think he's Luther a very King. talented actor. Martin <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. playing Martin. No, I mean, I mean uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Martin Luther King Jr. Oh. You said he could play anything, so I, I have a role to offer. <laughs> no, maybe not that. I think I don't think he would probably be well suited for that part. Uh, okay, so maybe watch your statements. Uh, okay. But yeah, Martin begins immediately, jarringly, immediately, jarringly. Oh, we should also mention the original cut of this movie was nearly three hours long. It was nearly three hours long. It was entirely in black and white, and they edited it down considerably. From George Romero's initial version, uh, he says he does not believe that fans, of course, have been looking for the three-hour cut. He says it doesn't exist anymore. He's passed away now, so who knows? But yeah, it was. I have no idea what they could have added to make this movie better, though. I feel like it's a very deep. Oh, I can definitely tell that this was chopped up. Oh, you can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this, and maybe it's because I knew that going in. Sure. I only learned about that after. Yeah, so I knew it going in, so I was more aware of it than you were, probably. Probably. But there's... It does have a very unique editing style. It does. Even for the time. Which, the first 40 seconds really tripped me out. <laughs> because that's why I had to go looking for like the runtime. Because the way we watched this, I was like, maybe this isn't the whole thing. Right. You were afraid you got a bum copy or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I had to go looking for the runtime. Mm-hmm. And, but the first 40 seconds, it's a woman getting on a train, you see a sign that has a B on it, then yes. you see a B on a door, and I was like, what the fuck kind of witchcraft just happened? <laughs> yeah, it just, it just throws you into the deep end, it does yeah. not, and like the only thing that you have, the only indication that you have that the movie is a movie that is starting, as opposed to anything else, is that it says Martin in the bottom corner yeah. within a few seconds of the movie beginning. And you also, I believe this is a Linden production? Something like that. The, 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 there's a few credits that happen right at the beginning, and then the rest of the credits are saved for after the, the initial event yes. in this scene. So immediately we see that um, Martin... He's played by this guy. He looks like kind of a young John Malkovich with way more hair mm -hmm. and very skinny. John Amplis. John Amplis. Okay, so John Amplis is a little bit like a young, prettier John Malkovich. He's very skinny. Has sort of like shoulder length, uh, brown hair. Yep. And he talks in kind of the same cadence as 1970s Mark Hamill. Yeah. 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 He has a very sort of breathy Mark Hamill thing going on. Yeah. Specifically. 70s Luke Skywalker, I was going into Tashi Station to pick up some power converters, Smart Camel. But if he were a touch more effete, yeah. and much more soft-spoken. Yes, yes, exactly. Martin's also a little bit of a twitchy boy. Oh, yes. He, uh, he has a lot of tics. He, yeah. he tends to bite his fingernails a lot, at least his thumb. Yes. Uh, he's, he's, just, he's very twitchy. 
And the actor does a tremendous job. He really does. He has yeah. a lot of... It, Martin doesn't speak a lot, so no. it's all about building up Martin's character through his interactions with other people and his body language, and he does yeah. it perfectly. He he definitely plays the 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 quiet, sensitive kid at the back of the class real well. Yeah. But, okay, so Martin uh, is on the train. We see him picking out a beautiful woman on the train in particular, noticing her, taking, taking note of her birth on the train. He goes back to his, his birth, gets all prepared. He has a syringe and some switch... Some razors. Ra- razor blades. And he sneaks back at night, back to her train compartment and he comes up to the door and there's a there's a flash throughout the film we get several black and white flashbacks or imagination flashes yeah it's never explained what they are right they could be much like martin's backstory it's left up in the air whether this is something that actually happened to him or his imagination my interpretation of at least this first one is that is his imagination yes yeah because it's in the flash, in these little vignettes, mm-hmm. in some of them they're speaking a foreign language, and yes. I don't think Martin was over in like Lithuania. Who knows? Which is what Tantakuda is. Yes, Lithuania. Okay. Right. But yeah, in this in this first one, he goes up. He's he's jimmying the door. So immediately we get the sense Martin, he might be a vampire, because if you if 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 you're going into this movie with the idea that he is a vampire, you already know that like. I, I knew that he was a vampire yeah. before I watched this movie. I watched this movie a couple of years ago for the first time. But, like, going into the movie, if, even if you have an idea that he's a vampire, you immediately know, okay, this is not a traditional vampire. He can't just, like, fly through a window yeah. or something. He has to pick the lock. And just before he's picked the lock and he's about to go in, he imagines the woman that he's about to attack inside the train car in a flowing white dress waiting for him, greeting him, and he comes in, and she's not there, and instead he hears a flush of a toilet inside the bathroom in her birth. My interpretation of that being that vampires have a tendency to be very sort of romanticized. Exactly. And and beautified, and and uh, women are these objects that they that they and the, the main characters of the film fight over. Mm-hmm. And so Martin is having this sort of fantasy that he'll have a woman be happy to see him like women often are for vampires in, in uh, other vampire movies. The like women are always very sexually attracted to Christopher Lee in the Christopher Lee Dracula films. But Martin instead goes in and is immediately hit with... But Martin is instead met immediately with a sound that doesn't happen in movies, it only happens in reality, which is a toilet flushing. It is a sign of the gross imperfection of actual human beings, which is what this woman is, and not a beautiful object of desire that he wants her to be. And one thing that I I got that this was... uh sort of riffing on with the vampire genre is that whole idea of sexiness. Yes. Because this is... Martin is a, I guess, decent-looking young man. Sure. But he is not... Nothing he does could be considered sexy. He's fumbling. He's yeah, very self-conscious. And we see that in this first attack. Yeah. Uh, 
eventually he'll just, he's just begging her to I just want I just want you to go to sleep. I just want you to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, uh, he's, he's uh... pleading with his victims. He has no he has the power but he has no real control over no. what is going on. So what so what Brad's talking about is the woman comes out of the bathroom and she sees Martin there and he jumps on her and sticks her with a needle. Mm. And whatever drug, it's never quite defined what drug it is. But it doesn't it, seem to work great. It doesn't work that well. And whatever drug it does takes a while to, to take uh, to take hold. Just a bunch of garlic. And <laughs> but while he's he's stuck her with it, and he's he's he fights with her for a while. Yeah. And part of the time she's screaming, trying to get someone to help. No one's coming. And she has a face mask on. Yep. She has like a, a. Yeah, she was she was ready to just have some like good old me time yeah you know and the train make the best of of the bumpy sleep she was about to have she has a face mask on she probably just took a shower if there's a shower on trains i don't know i don't know she just definitely did some bathroom stuff definitely did some bathroom stuff she's wearing like sensible comfortable pajamas again she's a human being with an yeah. entire inner life that martin cannot know about he's like i just i just i don't want anyone to be hurt i just want you to go to sleep i just want you to go to sleep and eventually he does get her to fall asleep, and then he strips naked. Strips her naked. Strips her naked, rapes her, and then slices open her wrist and drinks her blood. I was never clear if he was actually raping her or if it was. It it's it's un it's made it's not. I mean, obviously, it's it's not porn, so we don't see penetration, but uh, and we don't see him like thrusting or anything like that. So it could be just him like sort of rubbing up against her. It's definitely an assault. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, later on in the film, he refers to sex always as sexy, sexy stuff, stuff. Sexy stuff. He's he's such an an emotionally stunted individual, yeah. but he he refers to sex always as sexy stuff. And he says specifically, I've never done sexy stuff with a conscious woman before. Which makes me think that he was doing the sexy stuff with his victims. But to me, the phrase sexy stuff, and granted, is part of his uh, juvenile nature. Yeah. And just his lack of refinement that we usually see with vampires. Mm -hmm. and sexy stuff, to me, like just sort of implied like what we were seeing. Like, oh, I'm going to rub up against him because yeah. I don't really know what sex is sure sure and uh that's that's very possible either way it's not good no it's not good it's, 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 <laughs> martin's not a great role model martin is not a and that is something about this movie that i i do love is that there's not really anyone you can fully root for no you sympathize with martin because he's just so um broken yeah inside he's so put upon by kuda and kuda is such a bully but at the same time like martin is a monster yeah, and it's it's not shied away from at all. No, he, he's he's an actual monster and a creep, and um, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. You have sympathy, but you never are like, yeah, Martin, go. Yeah, Martin, you go. Get him, get him, Martin. <laughs> you show him. Yeah, it's a difference between sympathizing and rooting for. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, Whereas in most vampire movies, I assume most people, most men at least, sort of want to identify with the vampire like I'm suave I'm powerful it, it it depends on the movie it's either one or the other you're yeah. either rooting for the vampire or you're rooting for the the main character or the vamp in a lot of the Christopher Lee vampire movies Dracula takes on a sort of Jason Voorhees-esque quality where it's 
it's it, you're not necessarily rooting for Jason, but you are interested in what Jason's going to do. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, he's gonna run around and and fuck shit up. It's gonna be great. Yeah. You know. Now I'm picturing Christopher Lee dressed up as Dracula, like just running around smashing vases. <laughs> it got to almost that point. At a certain point, oh, in the yeah. there's a reason why Christopher Lee hated that franchise so much. Yeah. He 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 was fine with the first like one, maybe two or three movies. And then they started having to pull out the heavy blackmail to keep him in those movies. Yeah? Yeah. What, and, what has Christopher Lee done? He hasn't done anything, but he was friends with everyone on the crew. And they were saying, oh, but you can't say no because we already sold the movie to the American distributors with your name attached. And if you don't do this, all of your friends are going to be out of work. And they pulled gotcha. that shit on him for movie after movie after movie. And... Uh, so he did not leave Hammer Films on good terms. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so... And actually, the Hammer Films are kind of uh, relevant because those movies had just ended when this movie was made. And um, those... In, f in fact, the original idea for George Romero to make this movie, he wanted to make it a comedy. Oh, yeah? Uh, about, like, oh, wouldn't vampires be awkward in real life? But the more he was thinking about what a vampire would be like if they had to deal with real life, the more he realized how sad it actually was. Yeah. And it just became a much more depressing movie as he kept writing it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. well, that's that's why you finish stories, is because <laughs> sometimes it starts out with someone getting hit with the pines, ends up with someone being raped. <laughs> But yeah, so Martin uh, assaults this woman. He drinks her blood. He slashes her wrist with a razor blade, drinks yep. her blood. The blood spills out all over his body. It's it's almost a sexual thing where it like lands on yep. his chest. It lands yes. like and he seems it does, very it does feel like a money shot. Uh he has a very orgasmic look on his face. Yeah. Now I have to say, I when I started watching this movie I was confused by that opening bit of editing, and I started to write a note to describe the shot that had confounded me. Yes. But as I was writing it, before I paused the movie, I saw the little bits where Martin was preparing his kit, preparing his syringe, and I got so engaged, yeah. I had to set my computer aside and just watch for a good That's great. 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. That is always... Sometimes that's a game I'll play with movies where... Yeah. Obviously, I meant to give my full attention to this, but other movies, I will be doing something else, and mm -hmm. the movie has to win my attention. <laughs> get me to put things aside. Yeah. I try not to do that as much anymore, but with movies I don't care about as much, or sure. shows like Umbrella Academy, sure, that's what I like to do. And just play it in the background. But Martin passed that test immediately, and it just immediately sucks you in. That's high praise. Yeah. That's high praise. Martin, we then see at, oh, the the rest of the credits roll at this point while Martin is cleaning up the crime scene. He's meticulous uh, about cleaning up his uh, crime scene. One of my favorite lines in the movie, which happens much later, is that he said, you have to remember the people who are after you are not calm, so you have to stay calm. Uh, because they're they're mad, and you make mistakes when you're emotional. Yeah. Uh, I'm completely butchered that line. Yeah, I don't like, recall that at all. It's when he's talking on the radio show. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, but it's, it's a great line, and uh, I, you do, get that sense from him, 
uh, it's 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 again going back with the sexual thing. It's it's almost like uh, you know cleaning up the the bed sheets so, so yeah. your mom doesn't find them later. You made you made a motion like you were doing with like a toothbrush. I did. Yes. Is that yeah. how you like to do it? <laughs> No, I was just like, <laughs> which isn't really mimic. helping at all. If anything, you're not just, really scrubbing just it out, spreading you're just... it around. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I know how to clean things. You learned about cleaning your teeth, and you were like, "That's all I need to know." And so, all cleaning now is just. Haven't you wondered why I have like just an entire wall of toothbrushes? I clean everything. With you that have shit. so many giant novelty toothbrushes. I do. Yeah. That. I just assumed it was a sex thing. <laughs> well, it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> I support you. I think you should be allowed to vote no matter what you do with toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I agree. And and um... I do have one problem with Martin's method here. Okay. When he's uh, creating... The murder part? <laughs> The after murder. The, oh, okay. the setting up the scene. Okay, okay. He's just like strewing razor blades about, like Oh yeah, he's leaving evidence to try and, and make it look like she committed suicide. Yeah. But he's just like sprinkling razor blade packets all over the does. all over yeah. the train. All and he also like knocks over train. a pill bottle too. Which is good. Yeah. But like I don't think people who slit their wrists are like making it rain with the razors. <laughs> That that was that was a little bit confusing. Like, wouldn't if someone had decided to kill themselves on a train, in a fit of passion, wouldn't they just like grabbed like a couple razors, like yeah. maybe a razor, like one pack, like one pack, as <laughs> opposed to just like I'm gonna buy all the razors and decide later which of these is gonna be the special magic one. At first, I thought because he's throwing them away, like he's throwing them around in their packaging. Yes, and I thought it was Bazooka Joe bubblegum at first. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> like, what the fuck is he doing? You're, was, you're gonna it love was the these. It was the Bazooka Joe jokes. That's what finally killed her. <laughs> this one's real funny. <laughs> and he's, the rest of the movie is just the police chasing after the Bazooka Joe killer. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie where it's like... Uh, <laughs> Someone gets killed by a clock, and it's like, oh man, someone must have wanted to see time fly. I was about to say that. <laughs> like, it's all just murders based on puns. Based on really bad puns, yeah. And then they finally, they finally find the killer, and he's got his sweater pulled up to his nose. <laughs> <laughs> and as the police are going through, like, his abandoned house to find him, like, right. their feet keep getting bogged down in chewed gum. <laughs> this is the... This is the Hannibal Lecter sequel we needed to see. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the gum, Clarice. He doesn't like the jokes. He needs the jokes. <laughs> the thing about a pun is you say one thing, but you mean another. We never joke, Clarice. We only unveil what we're scared of. <laughs> the guy's... The guys who He's made afraid it. of seeing Butterfly. He doesn't laugh at it. He's afraid of it. The guys who, who, who made Hannibal, this is how you get your show back. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? You need to tie it in with the hotness that is Bazooka Joe. <laughs> Bazooka Joe Mania is at a 30-year high right now. 
kids are loving this shitty gum. Kids are loving this shitty comic. That's all TikTok is, is Bazooka Joe. It's Bazooka Joe. People reading the comics. People doing gum challenges. Oh, my God. Bazooka Joe. All right. So, yeah. Um, so, after the assault, Martin goes back to his, his own room and gets off the train eventually when it stops and meets up with Kuda. Tantakuda. Tantakuda. Who, uh, who is dressed like if Orson Welles ran Fantasy Island. <laughs> I was going to say uh, Colonel Sanders in his off hours, but that works too. Yeah. yeah. The beard's a bit bushier than the Colonel's. True, true. Um, but he has, a, he has a big white beard. Mm-hmm. He's dressed in a white suit. He has a cane. And pretty much immediately he's like, I'm going to destroy you. Yeah, he immediately, as I said before, he immediately says, uh, you're Nosferatu vampire, which immediately gives Martin more black and white flashbacks uh, or imaginary scenes of him in an old-timey suit being called that in the past. Another thing I was thinking of, even though I don't think Martin is an actual vampire... That is up for interpretation, and we can definitely discuss that as we if, go along. If he were a vampire, that could be like a genetic memory thing, where it's like oh. passed down through the disease, where you can remember things from past lives. That is a thing in, in some vampire lore, is when you're bitten by a vampire, you take on some of the memories of the vampire that bit you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a main plot point in the TV series of Blade. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, which is actually much better than a Spike TV original ever should be. Yeah, and he says, Nosferatu vampire, I will save your soul and then I will destroy you. Come, let me show you your room. <laughs> I was just imagining I was just imagining that Blade was Spike TV's like Downton Abbey. Then I was then I was imagining like what if it was Downton Abbey and Blade was just there. You're gonna have to do, to explain to me this this obsession with Downton Abbey you have at some point. I'll do it off air. <laughs> I'm sure I've explained it before. I'm sure you have. I don't remember. It's basically just that it's so fucking bad. Like after the first <laughs> two seasons, that it's just sort of amazing to yeah. While you're watching it, you don't appreciate it. Okay. But when you view it from above and you realize like how little happens over. <laughs> Let's say at least 50 hours of television. Sure. It's fucking breathtaking. (laughs) It's breathtaking to just see how the same shit happens over and over again. It's it's like if God were just a dumbass. And he's like, this is my design. And it just like scribbles. Right. Actually, no, it's not even as artistic as that. It's as if God were way too strict. And he was just like, life is just lines. It's just lines. It's just very short lines. Yeah. God, God the, the finger painter, will be right back after this. Another thing is uh, I wrote down a note, which I got kind of embarrassed by later after I did some research. I said, I love the score. Because there's this great... Uh, as- Ever Martin hunts, it goes. it's sort of this twangy thing. Yes. Twang, twang. Yeah, which is great. And then, uh, but specifically I wrote it down when Kuda was taking Martin to his house. And you see all of the, the urban decay that is prevalent in Pennsylvanian cities. We, we live in a Pennsylvanian town. Yeah. And... This is actually set in a suburb of, of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, so they're not... 
but a lot of I I I've been taking some part-time work with the census and I've been going around the local area and a lot of the local area looks like places in this movie and it was um really depressing to think about that. Uh, yeah, I guess I'd grown up with it long enough that sure. it's just like yeah, just decay. Just just decay everywhere. But yeah, so they're they're walking uh to Kuda's home and there's just all this urban decay around and this is just a very morose theme. And I was looking up who did the music. It's just um tracks that Romero found places. Oh, okay. It was just a library of public domain music and he just took those tracks while he was editing and put them in where he felt like they fit and that was it. There's no actual score. It doesn't matter. Their choices are still fantastic. The choices were still fantastic, absolutely. In fact, apparently Mar uh, George Romero enjoyed doing this so much that when he made Dawn of the Dead, his producer had to force him to use Goblin as their composer. Because <laughs> uh, he was like, I can I can do without. And they're like, no, we have an, an agreement with Goblin. Goblin is doing your score. He's like, I don't think so. I got 1,000 songs in the public domain. <laughs> Here's Camp Town Races. <laughs> the Camp Town Races cut of Dawn of the Dead is what we all really need to see. That's that's the cut that's never going to be seen. But yeah, so Kuda insists on calling Martin Matthias uh, or Matthias, uh, and uh, is is just and has garlic and crucifixes hung up all over his mm -hmm. house. He is clearly very much hung up on this like older idea of vampires that Martin obviously does not match no. up with at all. But despite the evidence of his own eyes, he is sticking to this idea. Yes. Uh, and Martin it quietly and meekly goes along with him and then finally just flips shit on him. Grabs the garlic, goes down to... Yeah, confronts no, him. Goes down to Tantacuda. Grabs the garlic off his door and is like, "It's not real." And he, 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 and and Kuda just told him, "Never enter my room." And he kicks open Kuda's door, and Kuda's like, "No, no, you can't come in my room," <laughs> which is so petulant and yeah. pointless. But he kicks open the door, and he's and he and Kuda is holding a crucifix and cowering in the corner, all of his bravado forgotten. And yeah, he shakes the garlic in his face. It's like, "It's not real." And he takes the cross from Kuda and like crushes it in his hand. This is it's, it's it's. There's no magic. There never was. And, and then it becomes a movie where Tante Kuda says, "I'll teach you to believe in magic." <laughs> he pulls out a top hat and a cane. There's a musical number. <laughs> they fly away and yeah, Totem. Don't forget, Matthias. What happened to the boy who got everything he ever wanted? What happened? He he. Lived happily ever after, Nosferatu. That was a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory reference for people like Brad who haven't seen that movie in forever. Yeah, I had no clue what the fuck you were doing. <laughs> and I was a little angry about it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Matthias and Kuda are not going to be friends at first in this roommate situation. If Martin had been a bigger movie... Yeah. In the seventies, there would have been a short-lived television program. Oh my God! There where would have Martin been... and Tanta Kuda were just battling every week, but they had to come together for some zany scheme. Oh my God! You're absolutely right. Uh, Christina would be like 
get a glow up for TV. And, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And she and she would play like Father Howard would be a recurring thing. He she would be like a fourth cousin, so there could be like yeah. a will they won't they thing between her and 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 uh, Martin. And yeah, the 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 priest would always be coming. I was like, the priest is coming to dinner now. Don't drink any blood while he comes over here, Martin. Martin. <laughs> That's Martin. Yeah, no, that's exactly what they would have done, and it would have been. No, it would have been amazing. I would have watched that every week. I'm thinking Abe Vigoda for Tantakota. Oh my Tantacuda, god, yes. Yeah. And uh, a young John Travolta for <laughs> Martin. <laughs> magic. There's no magic. There never was. I just want to drink some blood. I just want to drink, drink some blood. Dance some disco. Vampires gotta have fun too sometimes, Kuda. <laughs> oh man. What are you talking about, Martin? <laughs> what are you talking about? Anyway, enough of the Martin, gracious. come here and drive the stake into your own heart. I can't <laughs> lift it up. Can't lift it up today. <laughs> your old man can't get it up. Uh, enough of. But enough of the greatest show that was never made. Uh, one one important bit, one important plot point is that when showing him his room, Kuda tells him, you can come and go as you like, but do not kill anyone in the town, because I will know about it and I will destroy you without salvation. Yes. That's very important to know. He also tells him not to talk to his... to Kuda's granddaughter. Yes. Which would make her... Vaguely related to Martin somehow. Some, somehow. Um, um, I've never been able to keep any of that shit straight. But yes, and, and he said, I've told her not to talk to you, but she will. Don't talk to her. <laughs> yeah, her name is Christina. Christina, that's it. All right, let, let's let's talk about this now. Okay. Do you think Martin is a vampire? I... I don't really have an opinion. Like, okay, here's 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 where my brain goes. As a vampire fan, mm-hmm. I would like to. As think, a vampire, as a vampire, uh, I would like to think that he is because I like that sort of mythological idea that there are vampires, even if they're nothing like the vampires that we know of or hear about, and they talk about there being other members of the family that are vampires. So there's part of me that's like, that's pretty cool. But on the other hand, I think the story almost works better. If he's just a very troubled young man, yes, and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of on the fence, I guess. I, I'm sort of the opposite, where I want him to not be a vampire because that is a much more interesting movie. Yeah, because what I really wanted to see after this, and what this sort of is, is just battle of the wills between two disturbingly delusional people. Yeah, in this, Martin is very passive. He's very meek. He does not. He confronts Kuda at times, but he never, like, outright antagonizes him. But there is... There's one moment where he kind of antagonizes him. Like I said, there are moments, but it's not... It is not a battle between the two. It is Martin wants to do his thing, and Kuda wants to destroy Martin. Right. And that's... The idea that they are both delusional, Mm -hmm. that, like, Martin is killing people for no reason, that Kuda is just torturing Martin for no reason yeah. because of just generations and generations of delusion is yeah. great. Yeah. Like that, that's such an interesting concept. Like I said, I'd like to see it done where 
the Martin part of it is much more proactive. Yes. Yeah. But they're still like living together. They're still like related. Yeah. And it's just like these two dangerously delusional people are just butting heads. Right. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting to hear the ways that Martin describes himself. Mm-hmm. Because he says, because he he says it's not magic. Even I know that. Yeah. Because he's the vampire. But like, what is it then, Martin? Like, what what? It, that that never comes up. He he no. consistently says it's not magic, and I can't go to a hospital. I I I couldn't ha- I couldn't do that or something like that. But he, so he's so he's actively discouraging any kind of treatment for himself. Mm-hmm. But then you also have this thing where like when he he says that he he gets like an itch or something when it's time to drink blood. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't keep track of when it happens, but he gets like an itch when he needs to drink blood. And but it's never made clear he's shown eating and drinking other things. Yes. It's not like Salem's Lot where it turns to ash in your mouth. But like that's another vampire thing you you know oh, yeah. Salem's Lot. But it's 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 so it, it just feels it almost feels like he just doesn't want to be different. He's he's just this is the way that he lives. He he drinks blood because he's addicted to it in a mental way, yeah. not necessarily a physical way. It doesn't seem like he says that he's immortal, that he's lived since the 1800s. But he doesn't necessarily ever we don't ever see any evidence of that. No. We don't see any idea that the blood is helping him at all other than he says that it's harder for him to think straight when he's thinking about the itch all the time. Yeah. But that could be just something like, man, I really want to... I keep thinking about chocolate milk. I really want to drink chocolate milk. Yeah. Could be fucking anything. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that he needs it. In most other vampire movies uh, or vampire stories, like, they need to drink blood mm. on the same level that zombies need to eat people. Like, you you drink it or you're done. You're you're dust. But uh, no, there's there's no indication of that at all. No, there's nothing, to, and it's very convenient that all of the folk tales about what hurts vampires mm-hmm. has no effect on Martin. Right, except it, for the stuff that would have an effect on any normal person. Exactly. And he says sometimes the sunlight hurts my eyes. You and me both, buddy. Yeah, we're sure. we're a bunch of pasty nerds. We live indoors. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, it's. But I enjoy that the movie does leave it up to your interpretation at the end. It never definitively goes one way or the other. They don't get an autopsy report from Martin that says no. not a vampire. No, no, they 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 do not do that. But there there are several movies out there that that try to ride that line between is it real, is it not, and either they go so f- they go so far into nebulousness mm-hmm. that the movie doesn't make any sense anymore, or they go so far one way or the other that it ruins the whole thing. Uh, and this movie rides that line. I know you're not talking about Vampire's Kiss. I'm not talking about Vampire's Kiss. I've never seen Vampire's Kiss. Oh, we need to watch Vampire's Kiss. I know we point. do. Yeah, I, I definitely need to see that because, you know, love me some Nick Oh, and Cage. that's another vampire thing that I've seen. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's hardly a vampire movie. I mean, it has the word vampire in the title. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does indeed have the word vampire in the title. But yeah, so uh, Martin's living with Kuda. Kuda runs a general store in town. And when he talks to the ladies at the yeah. general store about his cousin Martin who's coming into work, yeah. 
He's very, very upbeat. Very. It's the most positive we see him in the movie. But he does get. He does. He is. They're rare, but there are times when he is kind to Martin. Does that ha- when? When does that happen? Like, I think this is the only time in this one scene where he's, like, defending him. I to... thought there were other times when he's, like... I thought there was something about food where he's, like, Martin would like this. No. Okay. No, he makes him eat his own favorite food because... Well, I remember that, but yeah. I thought there was some other time when Kuda if, was... If it happened, I don't remember it. But, yeah, so he's... he's he, the people in the store are judgmental, busybody ladies, old older ladies... They're um, excited for this hot young cock that's going to be coming around. They are excited about that hot young cock. And one of them who shows up later in the movie is when she finally meets Martin, she's, she is very antagonistic towards him and is mm. a bully. But she, even before Martin shows up, is like, it's not right you having a young man in the same house as Christina. As, as Christina. And he says, hey, it's only it's only awkward if you make it awkward. My family knows how to behave. Yeah, And uh, I was like... Good on you, Kuda, for for shutting her down. Yeah. But she she just keeps going with it because you don't you you can't turn off that kind of anger. But I like that I like that little bit of nuance to Kuda's character where yeah. he he would still defend Martin in that situation. No one in this movie is out and out a good person, but no one in this movie is out and out a bad person. They're all people. Christina's a pretty good person. Christina's a pretty good person, but she's also got her she's got her own flaws. And like every every single person in this movie is a person yeah first and foremost like you can make your own judgments whether you like one better than the other or you would go to bat for one or the other but they're all people even the incidental characters who show up for one scene and then disappear Mm -hmm. and that is um some fantastic writing from george romero there yeah that everyone feels like a person uh but uh even these even these uh, annoying old ladies in the in the in the shop yeah martin uh meets up with christina and uh panics runs 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 out of the house for a minute (laughs) martin does a lot of running away martin does a lot of panicking and and running Mm. away and refusing to talk there's a great bit of acting from him he comes back into the house christine's trying to talk to him and he's just sort of mumbling off in the corner playing the radio i like to imagine that if martin hadn't died at the end of this movie spoilers (laughs) well we're in the spoiler territory (laughs) that is true yeah um that he would have gone on to become Ryan Gosling in Drive. I can see it. Yeah, I just can very, definitely see it. It's very soft-spoken, still violent. Spends all of his time awake at night. Yeah. Uh, staring at women that he likes, not really saying much. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can definitely see it. I could see uh, Ryan Gosling playing Martin in something. He would be a much more attractive Martin. Yeah. But... Uh, have to... Give him some glasses and a windbreaker. And... <laughs> <laughs> now I'm imagining uh, poor John Amplis Martin in a windbreaker and just like, <laughs> while he's doing all his running away, just like... <laughs> I do... I, I did notice some, some tendencies in Martin that sort of angled towards the autistic spectrum. Yeah, I think uh, that's fair to say. Definitely. Like... Um, just in, in my own very limited interactions with people who are on that spectrum, especially in his quieter moments, you could see in the way that, like, he's, like, he gets excited when he gets to show someone something that he's yeah. excited about. Like, in the very next scene after this, Martin has a magic trick that he mm-hmm. shows Christina. It's one of those 
fake cigar guillotine guillotine things where you put your you can chop something and then you put your finger in it and it doesn't chop your finger but it chops the next thing and i i had one of those when i was a kid it couldn't actually chop anything but like it it uh it you could put your finger in it and pretend to chop it yeah and again he uses it again as as like a little sort of object lesson of um magic magic, isn't real magic isn't real uh the constant theme in this movie but one of the uh, my favorite part about that scene is the he hasn't talked to Christina at all up to this point. No. Uh, other than like a little bit of mumbling here and there, which she couldn't hear. But he, uh, he's there at the table, and he gets this little naughty little grin on his face, like, I'm going to show you a thing. And he, at first he's just like motioning for her to do things that he wants her to do. But finally he gets into it enough that he's able to talk out loud about it by the end of it. And I just I thought that that ramp up was very natural and very realistic. Yeah. And just just seemed like an interaction that I'd actually had with, with people that I know in the past who are very shy, and withdrawn. But it's just it was just a fantastic scene. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, going from on from there, Martin starts delivering groceries for Kuda mm-hmm. around town. Uh, Martin is out on the town, out and about and around. Go, Martin, go, Martin, go, Martin, go, Martin, kill some people tonight. But not in town, because it'd be destroyed without salvation. Anyway, Martin is walking around in the sunlight. I just got lost in my notes and ended up at the wrong note, but it Uh-oh. does say, Kuda's a piece of shit. Kuda's <laughs> uh, <laughs> keeping up a long family tradition. Yeah, a long family tradition of abuse and yeah. psychological torture. Oh, I forgot, in that dinner scene, Tom Savini's character does enter the scene. Oh, yeah. As, as Christina's boyfriend. Christina's boyfriend, Arthur. It's very weird for me, after all these years, to see Tom Savini without a beard. Yes, I was I was confused why he didn't look like Sex Machine from, D- from Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> I kept waiting for his penis gun to come out. Right. Uh, Arthur is... Um, very stereotypical small town guy yeah. complaining about the lack of work, the lack of good work in the town. Because he says, "Oh, there's work if you look for it." He's like, "But there's no good paying work." Yeah, with good wages. Uh, then we suddenly cut to a montage of, of creepy baby doll faces and childhood knickknacks and toys, culminating in like an acrobat toy that Martin's playing with. Oh yeah, yeah. This is again some of the sort of very strange editing choices that this movie makes. And the background over this entire montage and the following scene of Martin playing with his toy acrobat, we just hear Christina and Arthur fight. Yeah. Talking about how unfulfilling their lives are and blaming each other for it. And it finally ends with pounding on Martin's door as Martin's trying to ignore this fight. There's a pounding on Martin's door. He opens the door and sees that Kuda's attached a, a goddamn bell yeah. to his door. And he looks at him and says, Nasferatu, and walks away. I mean, uh, good one, good one, Kuda. Check, check, Martin. <laughs> check, Martin. Your move. Your move, creep, as Robocop would say. Oh, that, that, was, the, that was the full... So that, after that, I wrote, Kuda is such a piece of shit. But then Martin is a murderer and a rapist, so... Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, so yeah, Martin is delivering uh, groceries. One of the ladies he delivers to is uh, rather attractive. Mrs. Santini. Mrs. Santini. Abby, to her friends. Middle-aged lady. She answers the door half-dressed and offers to deliver Martin back to the store since she has to drive back into town anyway. Mm-hmm. 
She puts her, her skirt on and, and drives her into town. And she just wants to take Martin to fuck town. She just, she just wants to take Martin straight to fuck town. And who wouldn't? He's quiet. He's twitchy. <laughs> <laughs> he constantly avoids eye contact. <laughs> she, she, she tells him that he reminds her of a cat she used to have that she would just unload all of her problems on. Yeah. And she is indeed unloading all of her problems on Martin in this car ride. Yeah. True. I guess it's more of an... Just an emotional neediness on her part than like it definitely is actual physical attraction to Martin. She puts on a brave face for most of the film, but we as we learn more about this character, she is deeply unhappy. Yeah, she's deeply, deeply depressed, and she. Uh, so yeah, she's just and unloading. She didn't all stuff. find the answer, sucking it out of Martin's cock. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, but yeah, so she. Uh, She's uh, talking to Martin and, and, and just unloading on him. My favorite part of this is is one of those awkward things that happens in movies and in real life would just be the end of the relationship. But yeah. it just is she makes the comment that she's complaining too much and she, would just, she should just get over it or get out. Yeah. And Martin thinks he's talking to her and he tries to get out of the car and run away. She says, listen to me complaining. If you don't like it, get out. Right. Which Martin interprets as being about him, so yes. he goes to leave because he doesn't give a shit about her problem. She's like, <laughs> and she goes, "No, no, 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 no! I'm talking about myself." Right. Which you're right in real life, though, just been like, "Okay, bye, strange boy I just met." <laughs> wow, what a shitty way to end the conversation. Yeah, it's it's just that would be just be the end of the relationship. But in this movie, it's like, oh, what a funny misunderstanding. <laughs> He's trying to get away from my. Uh, voracious pussy <laughs> my voracious pussy but yeah she's complaining about her husband i think she even implies that her husband like sleeps around with other women yeah when he's out driving around with the girls right yeah 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 and uh she asks him if he does <laughs> what if there was a scene where uh Mrs. Santini and Martin are out on the town and they run into her husband and one of her girls, girls <laughs> and it's like she's trying to show off Martin and Martin's just like twitching and like <laughs> avoiding eye contact and be like Hi Mr. Santini <laughs> She's like Oh Martin dance with me dip me Martin And Martin's just standing there like <laughs> Fiddling with a fidget spinner 40 years before they were a thing. <laughs> There's a sale on model trains. <laughs> so yeah, she asks him if he does any other housework and he's and he, he nods and she's like, okay, well you can come by my house and, and fix some other things. And anybody who's read the book Holes or seen the movie Big Fish knows that some uh, steamy stuff is going to come from asking a guy to fix stuff around your house. Yep, those are the only two movies that happens in. That's I don't, Those are the only two ones I know. I don't watch many movies. Yeah, movies was, are pretty fucking stupid. Yeah. What if we had a podcast about them? That would suck. Oh, God. What a waste of money. What a waste of time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Kuda then reveals Martin's nature as a vampire to Christina, and she, of course, does not buy it at all. No. Uh, she is like she immediately assumes correctly depending on how you interpret the film that uh kuda and martin are stuck in this weird psychological death trap between the two of them yeah this weird uh 
Javert and Jean Valjean death uh, lock that only one of them can escape from. And uh, Martin desperately needs help, and so does Kuda. Yeah. yeah. She is very perceptive. And, like, <laughs> she's like, she's like, Martin's a fucking freak. You're a fucking freak. You both need help. You, you both need help. Um, but, yeah, Martin is... is uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Martin is upstairs trying to figure out how to get out of his room without setting off the bells. But, yeah. Uh, the bells! The bells! Kuda establishes that Martin was born in 1892. Mm-hmm. So if you take the vampire mythos in this movie as gospel, at the time this movie came out, Martin, as he says, is about, what do you say, 84 years old, and all the flashbacks that we're seeing of him from the past would have taken place sometime in the early 1900s. Gotcha. But of course, again, we both kind of lean towards it's probably Martin not... Martin does not have the... Martin does not act like someone who's 84. No. Even if you are stuck in the Bishonen body that is Martin, mm-hmm. you are going to gain some worldliness, some experience, some confidence. Yeah. You are going to gain something over 84 years. Especially if you've been vampiring that long. Like, you're not fumbling mm-hmm. around with the kill. It's right. very... You have it down to a science at that point. Which he does have the kill down to a science most of the time. But it's still so inelegant. That is very true. It is very inelegant. Which is part of the point of the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, um, the only, I guess, rebuttal to that I would bring is uh, Edward from Twilight is supposed to be very old, and yet he still acts like a teenager. And since that is one of the best vampire-related things ever made... True checkmate to you. But if Edward acted like a six billion year old man then <laughs> what's her nuts when wanna fuck him? Bella. Yeah. Franny? Be- <laughs> Bella. Franny Vanny Pyre? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> Franny Vanny Pyre? <laughs> That's her name, right? Franny Vanny Pyre? <laughs> yeah. I, that's the name of the that's the name of the main character in Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. In in Twilight it's Bella Swan. Gotcha. Yeah. Kuda explains to Christina how the whole vampire hierarchy works. Mm-hmm. There are only three vampires left alive in their family. Uh, and those are the only vampires that they know about. And it's it's some sort of family curse. I don't remember if they explain where the family curse came from. I don't think so. It doesn't fucking matter. But uh, there's a head vampire of the family, you said, back in Lithuania? Yes. Uh, yeah. Kuda's Lithuanian Catholic. Yeah, back in Lithuania, and uh, he gives orders about who is going to look after the other vampires in the family, of which Martin is one of the only last remaining. And the last person to look after Martin, uh, who was supposed to take over Martin for Martin, killed herself. Okay. And so now the responsibility is passed to Kuda, do you think it's because Martin kept doing magic tricks at her? <laughs> it's like, God, learn a new fucking trick. <laughs> but, uh, and he says that each of them takes on the responsibility, A, because it is the family um, shame to have vampires in the family. You know, can't pick your relatives. Yeah. Uh, and two, because if they don't, the head vampire of the family will curse them. And he says he's not afraid of curses, because he's good with God, but he is aware of his responsibility 
with the family shame. Mm-hmm. So he takes on the family shame, which is Martin, uh, and he says, but yeah, if, if, if it were up to me, I would have killed them as babies, he says. Uh, you know. Well, why don't they? <laughs> but why are they keeping Martin around and not just killing him? Because the head vampire is like, hey, it's a family shame. You gotta take care of him. Gotcha. Gonna curse you. Would you be ashamed if you had vampires in your family? I would be curious because that would... Where did they come from? You yeah. Know? But I, I wouldn't be ashamed. Would you tell people? I guess I would have to have more information about it. If it was a You're not allowed to tell people. I'm not allowed to tell people? No. What if I tell people anyway? I don't know. Okay. I don't know your family. <laughs> I I guess it would depend on like are the vampires actively hurting anyone? They hurt a lot of people. Oh shit! All then, the time. Then I would definitely tell people. Okay. Yeah, I would I would betray my family and just just tell everyone, hey, I have vampires in my family and they're killing a lot of people. There should be so much evidence everywhere. Just look at all the evidence here, and they would be like, holy shit, you're right. Let's kill your family. And I'd be like, damn it, step too far. Shouldn't have done this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a modern-day Icarus. You flew too close to the sun trying to kill your family. <laughs> now you actually have to kill your family. Right, exactly. But yeah, so is any of this true? If it's not true, where did it fucking come from? Like, yeah. how, how did this start? We don't know. No. Are, are, are Martin's flashbacks real flashbacks of him discovering his vampirism? In, in the, the flashbacks over the course of the film, we see more and more of them, and they basically tell a story of... A complete story of Martin... Uh, following this girl to her bedroom to have the sexy stuff, but instead he ends up drinking her blood. You know, sometimes that happens yeah. by accident. Uh, and uh, then he runs away, and his family confronts him and tries to exorcise uh, the demons in him, yeah. save his soul, and he throws away their candles and freaks out and runs away, as Martin is wont to do. <laughs> And that's basically the whole story of the flashbacks. Is that him discovering his vampirism when he wanted to have sexy stuff and turns out, oh no, I'm drinking her blood, this Uh-oh. isn't how I planned it? Or is this all like a fantasy in his mind that makes him think like, this is what being a vampire is like, this is who I am? As I said, I've leaned to, towards the second one. Yeah. But again, the movie does not give you a clear answer. And that's fine. Um, Kuda gives a stereotypical speech which is very funny to me in every vampire movie. This speech is in every one of them. Vampires are able to hide in society because vampire because science has given us the false idea that we know everything. Which is so stupid. It is. <laughs> it is. Sci- like if if you know if you follow the science community even peripherally, you know that they're discovering new species and new things every single day. That's what science is. Yeah. It's discovery, it's learning, it's acknowledging that you don't know something and then investigating it. If we had vampires in the world, scientists would be all over that shit. That's what I always say about ghosts. Like, if ghosts were real, we would find a way to have them in zoos by now. (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And I think, yeah. Uh, So, um, yeah. It's it's just, it's very silly. And it's, it's, um, it is a very... I, I hate to say this because I am a Christian, but it is a very Christian idea yeah. that, sci- that that we're so high on our own gas with science. We're so high off our own farts that uh, that uh, we, we, we don't allow anyone to discover anything, and that's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Superstition is what blinds people. Again, that was, that's another thing. 
in a world where science has apparently blinded us to anything supernatural, most people in America believe in ghosts. Yes. Despite no scientific evidence. And uh, so many people believe that humans can have psychic powers. Mm -hmm. And psychics are still routinely called in to help with police cases. Yes. Official police cases. Hashtag abolish the police. <laughs> but Tantacuda doesn't care about ghosts or psychics. All he's yeah. worried about is vampire science. All Yeah, all he's worried about is vampire science. Martin, again, he claims that he's 84 years old. And Christina's like, Martin, you should go to a hospital. You should get help. And he says... This would be too hard for him, and then refuses to give any more context. Now, he does say that he's seen doctors before, but as anyone with mental health will tell you, it's a process. Yes. You don't just see someone three or four times and you're done. It's not a sprained ankle. And secondly, he doesn't give any context for it, which sounds more like, to me, it would be too hard to get my blood fix if yeah. I was in a hospital. Exactly. So Martin... Because he also probably on some level knows that what he's doing is wrong. Yeah. And if he he would be committed, at the very least, oh, if yeah. not arrested yep. and jailed. Mm -hmm. So he knows that, so he can't go. Right. So it's... It, Martin... Martin is a, a... An unwell person, but there is a method to his madness. Yes. Uh, he knows what he wants, and he will do whatever he can to get his his fix. Uh, Christina has been fighting with Kuda for a long time, even before the movie, to get a phone in her room, and she offers Martin an extension for his room, which he starts using to call into his favorite late-night radio talk show mm -hmm. and talk to the host of the show about what it's like to be a vampire. And he becomes known as The Count? Yes, he does. And he's a big hit. He's a huge hit. And the host is very agreeable at first. He's, yes. he's very sort of calm and, and allows Martin to just talk and get things off his chest. Reminded me a bit of, of um, Coast to Coast. Art Bell. With Art Bell, yeah. Because Art Bell just you know made people feel heard. Yeah. Uh, but the guy gets more and more slimy as the movie gets on. He get he, More and more, it's about, hey, people, listen to the groovy count and all this stuff. He gets more and more shock jockey as the movie goes on. And it gets to a point where I almost wonder why Martin is still talking to this guy. Well, he doesn't talk to anybody else. I he, think, he I think just, that's mainly it. He just he has no one someone. else to talk to. And again, it's this own romanticism about what he's doing, where he's like, mm -hmm. he... Like those flashbacks, he pictures himself as sort of the romantic vampire. Yeah. Uh, so he, he wants his story to be heard. Yeah. Which, again, this is very thematically similar. These elements of the film are very thematically similar to Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire, which is also a fantastic movie. But I find that's interesting that this came before that and has so many similar themes to it. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just very interesting to me. The only difference being that while this film is uh, more explicitly sexual than Interview with a Vampire, Interview with a Vampire dances around the idea of sex a lot, but this actually has like sexual acts in it yes and yet interview with a vampire is so much sexier than this movie this movie has sexual acts in it but it's yeah. predominantly n n unsexy yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's not it's very uncomfortable there's no eroticism in this movie no not at all and yet much more nudity than interview with a vampire uh, which is just it's just interesting so Martin uh, gets his his uh, 
his tingle going. Yep. And he decides to go out of town to start feeding on blood. He takes a train out of town. He stops in a sex shop for a, a br- very brief scene that doesn't go anywhere. And again is uh, entranced by this toy. Yes. Not a sex toy, but this little, like... This literal little toy. A literal toy. A little bed that when you move it back and forth, the mechanism looks makes it look like people are having sex in the bed. Under the blankets, yeah. yeah. Which is cute. Yeah. But, like, yeah, he's, he's a very childish mind about mm-hmm. things. Yeah. But he is, he is starved... As you, as you go through the movie and, and things that he says and actions that he takes, you get the idea that he's 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 saw, he's absolutely starved for sexual attention. Yes, uh, he he wants, like we all do, to be loved, to be caressed, to be wanted, which is I think a big part of his fantasy. Of whenever he goes to attack a woman, like we said in the initial train scene, he saw an image of the woman welcoming him there. When he goes after this next woman, spoilers, he goes after another woman, he has fantasies of her calling to him and tying back to the lady in his flashback saying, Martin, 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 Martin. calling him into her because he, he has this, this, you know, this need to be wanted. Mm-hmm. So and even when he was on the train, he wasn't just like rubbing up against her. He would take her arm and have her oh, arm yeah, there was play with his hair. That amazingly like, pathetic moment. Yes, yes. And she, that's he, a great way to describe he it. He sort of like tries to put the arm around his neck and it and falls it, of off. Of course, it just flops off. I forgot yeah. about that. Is an incredible bit of direction. It's a subtle bit, but it's very important. Yes. But yeah, so Martin stalks a woman back to her home. He goes up to her door, even pretending to be deaf. Which, is this a thing that happened in the 70s? Did deaf people just go door to door? I I guess beggars just went door to door asking for money. I guess. And uh, I think it was just sort of a, he's looking for a way to get in. Yeah. And George Romero was like, this would be a great place for a comedy bit. And so, like, her husband is is, is like, I only give to organizations. And she's like, you schmuck, he can't hear you. Yeah. Um, well, this is, whole next part is a comedy bit. Oh yeah, but like it, it, again, it, it's it's um, George Romero putting those those notes in of this woman is not just a victim; she has an entire other life. Yes, that she's going with. She's she's made her making her own mistakes and her own choices outside of Martin, and Martin's going to take all that away. But Martin, yeah, Martin manages, and this is something that is real, but I always forget about it until I see movies like this. That back in the day. Remote control signals were just anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so you could just buy a remote control on its own and open someone's garage door. You could just do that. And he does that in order to sneak into her house because there was no such thing as um, like a, a private remote control frequency. Yeah. You didn't need to know the frequency. You could just click a button and someone, everyone's garage door in the neighborhood would go up. Huh. And that's that's just the way that they were in the seventies. God, what a bunch of primitive savages! <laughs> it was a different. What a bunch of goddamn troglodytes! <laughs> the past is a different planet, but yeah, he he gets into their house, and he he sneaks in, and she's his her husband is out of town. He knows that, so he thinks that she's alone, but he breaks into her bedroom, and she's having an affair. Uh oh, with someone else. And he he's so taken aback and offended. He's like, you weren't supposed to be here. And he's so, like, hurt by the fact that his 
his precious flower, this woman that he's going to kill, is cheating on her husband, that the guy assumes that this is her husband. <laughs> and it's like, look, we don't, there's no reason to be upset. We can talk this out, probably trying to get him, try, trying to figure out how we can make this into a threesome. And the wife is like, but guy, I don't know him. <laughs> and, um, and the guy's like, oh, in that case, let me get my murder on. And Martin sticks him with the syringe and then runs away. And what follows is a very darkly comic but very suspenseful scene of Martin running around their house, preventing them from making calls to emergency services, tricking the guy into running out of the house and locking him out there, sticking him with syringes multiple times. Um, The man wants the woman to call 911. Yes. Because he's been stuck by with a syringe by some fucking pervert who just broke into the house. Yeah. I mean, he, she doesn't want to call because then her husband will know about the affair. Right. So it's this sort of back and forth of like, you need to call, I can't call, who should I call? And even in the scenes where we where the camera's focused on Martin running around the house, we can still hear them arguing in the background. Yes. And it's, it's so delightfully human. It's, it's so human. It's... This scene, I found it very funny. Yeah. But... That sort of ruined the tension for me. The stuff on the phone was great, yeah. where he keeps, as they're trying to dial, he keeps pressing down just, on the cradle. Yeah, just smashing the buttons. So that they can't Yeah, so uh, they dial. can't dial correctly. But after that, there was no tension because I couldn't take these characters seriously. I found them to be very realistic, personally. Yeah. So, like, the, the things that were happening to them were awkward, and therefore, in some way, funny or comedic. Mm. But there was just the idea of someone being in your house and you can't you you can't necessarily call for help because yeah. either they've they've fucked up your method of calling for help or there's something that you don't want the cops to find. Even if it wasn't an affair, even if you just had like some perfectly some drugs that you were responsibly using even though they were illegal, like in the mm-hmm. house and you don't want the police to come there, but there's a fucking killer in your house. That like that is is disturbing and and uh upsetting. Oh, it's a great concept. Yeah. It's a great scene. It's great acted. Yeah. I just I just once the tension was supposed to be ratcheting up after the comedy mm-hmm. was dialed way down. Yeah. It, I just couldn't connect with it. Like I was still engaged, okay. but I just I just the tension wasn't there. Sure. Well, in the end, Martin sticks a guy with, with a couple of syringes. The guy finally goes down. After so long, the guy yes. finally goes down. And Martin sticks the woman with a syringe as well. And he says, I'm just going to put you to sleep. You'll wake up. I promise I won't hurt you. Because he ruined it. He wasn't yeah. supposed to be here. So I won't be hurting you. So apparently Martin has decided he's going to kill this uh, interloper mm-hmm. instead. He drags him out into the forest. He doesn't even bother with the razor blades. He just sticks a goddamn tree branch. Yeah, into his neck. Into the guy's neck. I I almost because I know so much about Tom Savini and the way he operates. I'm almost certain that he was supposed to use a razor blade, and Tom Savini was like, "We already did that. <laughs> <laughs> Could he like stick a tree branch in a guy's <laughs> neck?" It's <laughs> something I saw in Nam. <laughs> Tom Savini. For those who don't know, really like to improvise with the special effects. He liked to think of like, what's the most creative way I could, you know, blow up a human brain right now. Uh, so, so that's what I kind of think that. But he, yeah. he sticks the branch through the guy's neck and drinks the blood out of it, like it drinks the blood out of the neck hole, like it was a goddamn hose. 
And then he goes back into the house with the sleeping woman, undresses her, and still carries through with at least the assault part. Yes. But then he tucks her in. Yeah. So, you know. Martin's a sensitive soul. He's a sensitive soul. It's okay, because, you know, he tucked her in afterwards. He is what Warren Zavon would describe as an excitable boy. <laughs> Who's Warren Zavon? He's a wonderful singer-songwriter. Okay. I'll have to introduce you at some point. Martin, during this bit where he's he's drinking the blood, and this is where we hear his first conversation with the radio host mm-hmm. during this bit talking about being a vampire. Yeah, this is where Martin says he's always been too shy to do sexy stuff with a conscious woman, mm-hmm. to which even the host of the radio show is like, oh, okay, Jesus. But then they go to a commercial break, and they, they ask Martin to stick around for after the commercial break, and at first he's okay with it, but then they ask him to actually come into the station in person mm-hmm. because the segment is doing so well, and he awkwardly, silently hangs, hangs up the up. phone. The next morning, Kuda pushes Martin awake in his bed and he says, you are coming to the ca- to Mass this morning. We are a Catholic family. You will respect that. You will not embarrass me in front of the other people. Which, if he is so hung up on this old vampire idea, shouldn't bringing Martin to a church set the poor dope on fire? Should, but yeah. again, Martin conveniently does not have any of the traditional trappings of a vampire. Conveniently. Uh, but yes, uh, the, the Martin comes to Mass with the rest of the family. Uh, and he, he sees Abby there, uh, his, his, his lady love, at the, at the church. And the church is a burned-down wreck of a church with, like, folding chairs. And they're trying to put up a collection to rebuild the church. The new priest of the church is played by George Romero. Yep, Father Howard. Father Howard. And I almost wonder if they just couldn't find a church, or if the church that they found was burned down and they wrote it into the script... Because I know that it was all shot on location in a small... In Braddock. In Braddock, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Martin, after the service, goes back to uh, Abby's house to help her with home repairs. She is all over him. She, she just wants that twitchy dick. He just she wants that twitchy vampire steak dick. But he's too shy. She, she tries touching his hair and he just flips out <laughs> and runs away. So, George Romero's priest, Father Howard, yeah. is new to the area. So, Father so Father Kuda, Kuda invites him over for dinner to sort of get to know him a little bit better. And also to grill him. About his opinions on vampires. His opinions on vampires. And uh, Father Howard basically goes, Ah, fuck all that shit! <laughs> but before that, there is possibly the funniest and most uncomfortable moment in the movie... Where Kuda has this bug up his ass about people leaving the town and saying yeah. that the town is dead. So he starts ragging on the previous priest who had Father Howard's position, saying that the previous priest gave up on the town mm-hmm. and couldn't get out of there fast enough. And and uh, Romero says, no, no, he retired because he has cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very close to the end right now, actually. And then everything gets really quiet. <laughs> and Martin is just chewing with his little smile on his face like, <laughs> fuck you, Kuda. <laughs> and it's so uh, miserably awkward. Yeah, that's a great moment. <laughs> and again, it shows how Kuda's beliefs overpower reality. Yeah. I'm sure that that priest's cancer was known within the congregation. Probably. And because something that big in a church with 
with all the praying and stuff that usually gets out. It usually gets out, and also it's a very small congregation, yes. a very small church building, even when it was in full operation order. But Kuda chose to believe that this man, a presumably an older man, yeah. just left to strike it out somewhere else. Right, yeah. No, Kuda shoots from the hip always. Um, That's why we call him Maverick around here. <laughs> and Kuda... Kuda explicitly even goes to this because when they're talking, they're having their after dinner cocktail or after dinner wine, and Kuda says that old people need a priest that believe the way that they believe. They just old people want their beliefs spouted back at them, and immediately asks Father Romero if he believes in demons or demonic possession. Do you believe the demon can enter a person's soul? And Father Howard immediately gets super uncomfortable. This <laughs> is like no. <laughs> He's he's a little bit more of a uh, a modern, more liberal priest, or as, as yeah. liberal as Catholic priests get, and he's he's like, as I'm not sure about that, and he refuses to make any definitive claims about it, but he does say you ought to talk to Father Zolimus or Zolimus, yeah, who has he doesn't even say he's performed exorcisms. He says he's performed all the ancient rites, which yeah. I've never heard any Catholic refer to anything involved in Catholic dogma or 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 anything as rights that seems you've never heard of the last rights well there's the last rights but I've never... oh there's just that huge thing just that huge thing but i've never heard of anyone calling like the old rituals or the old rights like that that's uh usually they call it the old razzmatazz they usually call it the old razzle dazzle yeah, yeah exactly but um but he, he says they all the old rights, and he said, you know, he watched that movie, The Exorcist, and he said they got it completely wrong. I thought it was a great movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is just George Romero talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really want more of that character, just like him going to the yeah. movies and like <laughs> Father Howard's reviews. And <laughs> Cuda doesn't listen to anything Romero says after that. He is uh, obsessed with the idea of getting. Father Zalimus yeah. to come and do an exorcism on Art uh, uh, Martin. Martin. I almost called him Arthur. That's a different movie. <laughs> Dudley Moore is uh, Dudley Moore, <laughs> Dudley Moore is, is Martin. <laughs> I, yeah. There was just some great tits, Mrs. Santini. <laughs> that never was an imagine. Um. But oh, it, bloody hell, I actually cut my finger. <laughs> uh, see, my, I put my finger back and it fell off again. Um, but yeah. <laughs> he immediately gets Father Zolomus. Like, the, by the like next scene, it's, he's there. And again, this is where like I can tell it's been chopped up. I can tell it in other places. Like, yeah. I think we would see a lot more of the connective tissue where it's like, Yes, uh, getting Father Salimus, Kuda getting Father convincing Father Father Salimus what he told Father Salimus to get him there, yeah. uh, which would be an interesting. It's not necessary. No, it's this works perfectly well. Yeah. as a ninety-six minute movie, I think if it were the three-hour cut, there would be a lot more interesting character stuff. Sure, but I don't know that it would be a better movie. This was at the height of George Romero's powers. So I'm sure the stuff, the extra stuff he shot was good. Yeah. But exact, like you said, it it's not necessarily going to be a better film. It's a great fucking movie as it is, and uh, that's good. Yeah. But anyway, um, so Father Zalimus comes in. Father Zalimus is is a very old guy with very thick, 
rim glasses. Mm-hmm. He performs. He comes in. He gives Kuda these candles that he holds in the shape of a cross. And there, the wax is melting onto his hands. Wax and is melting onto his hands. Him. It's melting onto the floor. His hands are shaking because yeah. he's an old man. Well, because he's also being burned by hot wax. And also, he's being burned by hot wax. Father Zalimus keeps having to like clean his glasses. He's sweating because it's just like a dark room in the middle of summer with candles by his head. And he's reading the exorcism in English and with like a, a Midwestern accent. Yes. And again, we get the dichotomy because while he's doing this, and Martin's just sitting in the living room, just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And they come up on him like this. And Martin's looking at them exactly how you would expect anyone to look at someone when they're doing that to you just like what the fuck is happening yeah but in martin's head we see the flashbacks to when they tried an exorcism on him in the past if we're to believe the past and again we get the difference of this sort of romanticized idea in the past with the priest throwing holy water on him reading the script in latin with a lot of gusto with a lot of gusto whereas the it looks like father zolimus is very monotone very monotonously uh, take out the demon from this child. Can I get an amen? Amen, Father. Amen. You know, just it's 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 like if you had a Baptist preacher doing an exorcism. Yeah. Like it's 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 that um, silly, and it's 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 a it's a very sad sort of somber moment, but it's also a very darkly comedic moment again, where it's just sort of the pointlessness of this ritual yes and the the just the the emptiness of it and eventually martin runs away yeah and the priest continues the exorcism just continues yeah martin again as with many of kuda's beliefs the subject of his beliefs is not necessary for him to have those beliefs yes the the substantial proof of his beliefs is not necessary and this is further brought on by the next scene which is probably one of the more iconic scenes in the film if a film this little known can have be said to have iconic scenes, it's at least one of the... It's a scene that made it to the poster. Gotcha. Um, where Martin decides to scare the shit out of Kuda by jumping out, wearing a, a rug as a vampire cape, and having a dollar store fangs, fangs in his mouth and white chalk on his face making him look all pale. And he jumps out and goes, Rawr! And scares Kuda, and Kuda does not get the joke, does not appreciate the joke, takes it entirely seriously, and flips out. He pulls out his rosary and tries to scare away Martin, and Martin is just laughing. It's one of the only times Martin laughs. I think the only time Martin laughs in the entire movie. I certainly can't remember him doing it ever at, at no. any point. But uh, he's he's he, and Kuda still angry, still shaking, starts beating him with his cane, completely ineffectually, with no power behind the moves at all. Yeah, Martin is just kind of annoyed, and he and he knocks it away. He's like, it's just a costume. But it's that scene kind of encapsulates that thing that you were talking about with Martin, like mocking Kuda and his beliefs, yeah. and Kuda so. It's not that he knows that he's being mocked and he's mad about it. He can't even, like... He's so in his own delusion, his own world, that he doesn't even not even notice that he's being mocked. Yeah. He's just ineffectually smacking Martin out of anger and fear. 
And it's so pathetic. Yes. And they're both pathetic men. Yeah, no, it's yeah, exactly. It's it's just such a childish, stupid relationship. Yeah. Martin then very soon afterwards he goes over to Abby's house and he says, You want to have the sex with me, right? Or yeah. something like that. Basically that. Yeah, and uh he says, I I've never had the sex before, but I'd be willing to have it with you. Which is almost romantic, but I mean not. <laughs> It's good enough for her. It's good enough for her. We immediately cut over all of this actual sex part to just her lying on... Uh, not even lying, like, sort of, like, crouched on top of him. Yeah. Post-coital. Uh, and um, then from that, almost immediately to her crying on the sofa. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and said, did I hurt you? So again, this is, like, his first time. Yeah. With anyone conscious. So he doesn't know what he's doing. And he says, oh, I, am, are you afraid of being pregnant? I knew I should have worn one of those things. I don't know why movies have such a problem with the word condom. I think it was showing that Martin doesn't know what a fucking condom is. Oh, okay. I, I just, I've noticed that in movies a lot. The movies tend to do, like, dance around the word condom oh. or, like, come up with other names for it and stuff. I don't know. Is, is condom a brand name? Do they have to worry no. about that shit? I don't know. But she responds that she's fine... She's got something wrong inside, so she can never have kids, which is just another element of her depression. Mm -hmm. So then we cut back to the relationship drama with the family. Arthur is at a bar drinking with Kuda, talking about how he wants to leave the town. And Kuda says, yeah, get out of here because I don't want you dating my uh, granddaughter anyway. Also, insanity runs on our family. <laughs> Bye. And meanwhile, Christina's at home. There's been a running thing where Christina keeps getting left behind by Arthur. Arthur yeah. just keeps uh, bailing on their dates. And Martin tells her, I don't think you should be with Arthur because he makes you sad. And Christina says, I don't expect anything more from Arthur. That's not it. Kuda told Arthur that there's insanity in the family. Arthur, being a normal person and not apparently the, the plot device human being that Kuda thought he would be. Yeah tells Christina what he talked to her grandfather about and Christina's tells Kuda to go fuck himself yeah. for saying that uh, and he says yes there's insanity in our family you got it which I love Yeah. Uh, and uh, she she's just laying into Kuda and Kuda finally just slaps her uh, which is the final straw yep. of course and she is she's out out she is out. And she she has a great line about how she's leaving with Arthur. Yes. But she's not going to stay with Arthur. He's just her no. ticket out. She's just He's just her way out. And another great line right after that. She's walking away and Kuda says, you're wrong. About what? I'm not sure. He says, you're wrong. Without even looking at him, she says, well, too bad for me. Yeah. It's like, Damn. That's why Christina's the MVP of this movie. She's, yeah, you might be right. <laughs> she's uh, the only good person. She's the only person with any fucking, like, actual backbone. She definitely has backbone, yeah. But yeah, so... She has a phone. She has a phone. From there, again, in a brilliant, brilliant cut, it's the next morning. Christina's leaving. And while we hear her talking to Martin through the window... Oh, the, the downstairs window, we see Kuda at breakfast. Yeah. Kuda's not saying goodbye. Kuda is staying at his little dinner table, 
eating his breakfast sullenly and stubbornly in the corner, refusing to acknowledge that he is driving everything and anyone who might have cared about him away. Yeah. But she says goodbye to Martin. Martin says, you'll forget about me. She even offers, I can send you some money and you can come with us. Yeah. She says, no, you're going to forget about me because you're going away to forget about this place. So I'm part of this. Mm -hmm. You'll forget about me. And she says, no, I won't. But she ends up doing that. Yeah. Yeah, She never writes. We see Martin still dating Abby. He's talking to the, again, he's he's talking to the radio station, talking about uh, stalking people around town and thinking about killing them when they're mean to him, but he never does because they're in town. He says that now that he's having consensual sex, he's not as interested in women as he used to be. Yeah. But he's still getting the urge for blood, so he doesn't know what to do. Because if he, if he lets it go for too long, he won't be able to think straight and he'll be sloppy. And then he might get caught. And we see that that is uh, exactly what happens. Because one night he just goes out and starts murdering bums. Yep, kills two. Kills two street bums starts drinking their blood, and then runs into a department store and changes clothes there. I wasn't sure I understood that decision. Yeah, I wasn't... I Yeah, I wasn't sure. I guess it's just so in case anyone saw him, now he's in different clothes. I guess so, but instead it just ends up... Because he sets off the silent alarm. Well, not the silent alarm. He sets off the burglar alarm when he ends up in, in the department store. So that if the cops weren't coming to, the, to stop the murder of the bums, they're definitely coming to... to ensure that the corporations are safe uh so they they're coming they 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 come to stop him from getting away but he runs away there's an extended chase sequence ending up with martin accidentally ending up in the middle of a drug deal which ends up with a shootout between the drug dealers and the cops which distracts enough that he's able to get away what a bizarre what a bizarre turn of events (laughs) yeah yeah what it's it's and it's still great. It still works. Yes. But I feel like George Romero was like, how do I end this? <laughs> or maybe in the original three-hour cut, there was an entire subplot about those drug dealers. It's possible. And he knew that there was a, a deal going down, so he just ran towards there to distract and ran off. Because the camera does linger on one particular one of the drug dealers getting shot. Yeah. And it may have been that they just wanted to catch Tom Savini's um, uh, work. But it might also be that maybe that character had more to do yeah. in previous cuts of the film. We don't know. Maybe he was originally Martin. <laughs> and they just re-edited the movie to be about this other Martin. <laughs> That's quite the re-edit job. It's yes. like Annie Hall was originally a murder mystery. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Martin, after this, Martin goes back to Abby. But she's not answering her door. Uh-oh. He goes inside, and she has committed suicide in the bathtub. Yeah. She slit her wrists, bled out in the bathtub. And uh, Martin is does not react in the way you might think. You might think that since this is his first girlfriend, that he would be more emotionally attached. Um, but he doesn't really react very strongly to it and I don't know if that's just the acting or if that's intentional it's hard to say because as great as John Amplis is physically yes his acting is not tremendous 
Yeah, yeah. He's a... The same with Lincoln Motzel. Sure. Who is... Does a good job, but it can be done better. Sure. But so it's hard to say whether John Amplis was just underselling it mm-hmm. or if the point was that Martin is so disconnected from the people around him that this does not face him, even though he had an intimate relationship with this woman. He does say that he's almost glad that she's dead because he shouldn't have friends. Yeah. So he's you get a sense that he's definitely thinking about where he might go next. This is not... He's kind of done with this particular area. I, I imagine he has to stay with Kuda until the family reassigns him, but he um, he's kind of done here. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a parade going through town. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> Martin joins in like Ferris Bueller. Yeah, he just kind of walks through around through the parade. And again, I don't know... Because thematically it does fit the movie. As he's walking through the parade, he talks about how eventually you just get used to life. Yeah. You just get used to living life, and it's not that difficult anymore. So is this him appreciating, as an immortal, someone who thinks he's an immortal, appreciating like a moment of silliness and celebration in life as he goes along his way? Or is this, oh shit, there's a parade in the town, let's shoot it! I don't, I don't know. It's it's possible it's part of the second one. Yeah. I saw it more as Martin who has this sexual association with violence mm-hmm. and has just not only gotten away with a double homicide, mm-hmm. escaped the cops, caused a bunch of cops to be killed, saw his girlfriend dead and bleeding from her wrists. Mm-hmm. I think it was sort of like a, shit, I've had a great day. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I've had a great day, and now I'm, I'm going to join this parade because I'm having such mm-hmm. a fucking good day. In an immediate smash cut to Martin waking up in bed, Kuda's standing over him. He says, I warned you not to kill anyone in the town. You think I wouldn't hear about Mrs. What was her name? Santini. Santini. And he takes a wooden stake and stabs Martin in the gut. End movie. End of movie. And then over the credits, we see Martin getting buried in Kuda's garden. Mm-hmm. Kuda's covering up the grave. And we hear people calling in to the radio station to asking for the Count. Yeah. And talking about the Count. And, oh, I think the Count is my friend. Or I saw, some, I saw someone flying last night. I think it's the Count. Stuff like that. And so... The legend of Martin continues. Mm-hmm. The legend that Kuda and Martin believed in so strongly is spread and taken up by all these other people and morphed and exaggerated and changed over time and probably merchandised at some yeah. point by the radio station and just continues on. Just like the original vampire legends. Exactly. Now, how did you feel about that ending? When I first saw it, I was completely taken aback and I was very confused and a little bit bummed. I was like, really? Uh, that's how they're going to end it? But now that I knew it was coming, re-watching it the second time, I was like, perfect. That's yeah. exactly the button this movie needs to end on. And again, this is a thing where you can see that's been chopped up. I doubt the ending was that abrupt originally. Probably not. I'm sure there was build-up to it. Yeah. And I normally, if I get something spoiled for me, I don't 
care that much, but I was looking at things on Wikipedia about this movie while I was watching it. Sure. And I accidentally caught the last sentence of the synopsis, which was that Cuda kills Martin with a stake. Yeah. So I knew it was coming. Yeah. But I was still like, oh, well, shit, there's not a lot of time left in this movie. When's it? <laughs> it has to be coming immediately. Yeah. Then it happens immediately. And I wish I had not known because that is such an effective, yes. abrupt ending. It's that, Abrupt is the word for it. And it, it works great because, again, these are two madmen. Yes. And hum, especially madmen with homicidal tendencies are going to reach a breaking point. Yes. And that is what happens with Kuda. Kuda cannot abide by this anymore. Mm-hmm. And just murders him outright. Just murders him. Just buries him in the garden. Again, they like they 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 yeah, they reached that breaking point yeah. and they they finally broke. And it, you you one could definitely read it that Kuda was looking for an excuse. Yeah. Especially with when he's lost so much mm-hmm. that he needed a victory. And uh And again, it's another way to drive people away. Martin's the only one left. Yeah. He has to get, and he is effectively stuck with him. So the only way to continue pushing away anyone he could connect with is to stake him. Yep. And Tom Savini's effect in the staking is is very good. Oh, it's um, fantastic. It's uh, there's blood, but it's not an excessive, ridiculous amount. Like it's it's very realistic. Yeah. Uh, he obviously staked a lot of women and children in Vietnam. To, obviously. To, to perfect that effect, but like, uh, yeah, it was it was just a really solid effect. The original cut, like we said, was three hours. It was filmed in Braddock, Pennsylvania. According to George Romero, this is one of his kids' favorite movies that he's made. Really? I've heard also elsewhere that it's one of his favorite movies, but I don't know that for certain. But I, all I heard from him is that it was one of his kids' favorite movies that gotcha. he's made. They asked him once, why did you focus so much on the decay in the town? Because it was such a good thematic element. And he said, it was there yeah. when we got there. <laughs> so I shot it. <laughs> Yeah, George Romero, I, I I definitely absolutely recommend Night of the Living Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead is the only one wacky enough that we might talk about it at some point. Okay. I fucking love this movie. It's a great movie. I think it this is fantastic. Is fucking fantastic. It's so... Um, it, it, it does have its darkly comic moments, but it's so dour. Yeah. It's so depressing that I... It, this, usually I try and watch our movies in one sitting. This time I couldn't. I've been I've been working full time recently, and I was just really tired, and I was not ready to be this sad. <laughs> Most of the time, I watch our movies in pieces. Yeah, this is one I watched almost entirely in one sitting. Good, because it, it was so engaging. Anything else you'd like to say about Martin? No, I'm just I'm very glad that this movie appealed to you so much. I'm yeah. glad because this is a movie you'd never seen before. No, and I like I said, I've not watched a lot of Romero. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad this this grabbed your attention and passed the. I'm doing other things while I watch this test. Yes. Which, again, I don't really pause while I'm watching stuff for this show. But, yeah. Uh, it just kind of happened to happen that way. All right. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye.